0: in the end we always said number one priority is family number one priority is that it doesn't affect our relationships and kind of like how we say in the business put the business first when it dealt with our dynamic relationships we family first and no matter what would happen you know we'd all meet for dinner on Sunday night at her house show up for each other and support It never bled into where it hurt our personal relationship
1: welcome to episode one oh four of the AFT construction podcast I'm your host Brad Levitt and in this episode we have Rob and Woods from Woods Design Builders in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I've spoken about the Builder20 group, which I am part of, and Rob and Shane are part of that group. But a lot of the listeners had reached out asking, how do we take over the family business? How's that transition? What's the best way to do that? And I couldn't think of a better company to speak with than Robin Shane, who had taken over the family business and the complexity and how they've diversified their roles and responsibilities and and worked on the marketing strategies and social media and everything that comes with running a company in this day and age. They give some amazing advice. They talk about their business, the best way to set it up, how to make that transition successfully. So without further ado, let's get started. And today we have with us Rob and Shane Woods, who are both principals at Woods Design Builders. So welcome guys. Thank
2: you. Right. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Brad. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, and a little background. So Robin Shane I met, uh, you know, I speak about the Builder Twenty program a lot. And fortunately Rob and Shane are in our group and have a lot of expertise. They've given me a lot of Ah, uh, education and knowledge. These past few years that I've been involved with them, so they have a lot of good um, information to share. And I guess to get started, you know, especially being brothers, and and just to set the tone for this episode, you know, a lot of the people that have listened have said, "Hey, Brad, we're looking at taking over a family business. We're taking over a family company, and Robin and Shane have done that, right? And how do you do that successfully?" And so there's a lot of technical advice that they're going to be given. But to start, you know, before we get into that, what's each of your roles at the company?
0: Um, so I'll start, uh, you know, uh, my role is really the back of the house, uh, finance, contracting, uh, you know, negotiating our master design build agreement with clients, uh, and then everything to do with accounting, HR and everything like that. So I'm kind of a desk jockey. Shane, on the other hand is out there. I'll let him speak for it, but, you know, he's managing the field.
2: Yeah. So I basically manage all the projects in the field. Um, have a lot of the client, uh, interactions, um, and then once Rob negotiates, uh, the master contract and it gets into the estimating, I'm involved with that as well.
1: So when you say the master contract, which I guess you're initiating Rob from the beginning, what does that entail? Um, because my understanding is you guys are lump sum, right? You're not cost plus. And so right. does the oh. master contract include a price, a budget? And then when is does can hand it over to Shane?
0: no it's so it's our master agreement and since we're design build it's to start the initial design process so these people at this point either have only have the lot or are looking at the for the lot and we are looking with them uh when they get to the stage where they want to engage us uh from a design you know architecturally and interior design then we present them with the master design build agreement which we call it so it sets forth the process for design you know, starting out with just uh, designing a floor plan, schematics, going through, um, you know, approving that floor plan, getting a price, um, and, you know, and then what happens once you get a price? And then it sets forth the, you know, the details of the construction process, you know, how we do payments, all our terms and conditions. So once we get the plans to a point where we can price them, then Shane will send them out to bid to our contractors and then present them with what's called a construction addendum, which is an addendum to the uh, design-build agreement. And that details the construction price. And then, you know, he presents that, negotiates that. And then once they sign off on the construction addendum, then we're off and running, putting a shovel in the ground.
1: That makes more sense. And so, you know, you are managing the architecture then as, and interior design as well, or are you subcontracting the interior design?
0: We, we have an architect architect on staff, um, in-house architects, and then we have a architect that we work with as on a subcontract basis who we've been working with for decades. Uh and then we have interior designers who we subcontract, but everything goes through us. Um and so, you know, they come to us for the full service. We assemble the team. The architect, the interior designer, put everyone together, we charge them a fixed fee for this, and then they have, you know, it's kind of a one-stop shop for everything. So you're not going for an, an art, independent architect, and then getting a contractor, and then getting a uh, interior designer. We do that all in-house.
1: So let me ask you this. Do you ever get pushback? Because I would imagine it's difficult. Everyone wants to know the cost of a project and it's like, well, what's the cost for a bag of groceries, right? I mean, there's so much variation, as you know, and the market's changing every day right now in this economy. So when a client comes in, I'd imagine to some extent they say, hey, Robin Shane. We're ready to start the first phase of design. So I I would imagine there's a fee structure for the architecture, right, immediately because you're going to go through design. Now, is budget spoken about at that point? And then how do you manage that before it even gets to hard pricing when Shane gets involved?
0: I mean, well, you know, our design fee is um, set out where we just start with an hourly rate. We don't know what it's going to be, you know, it's just an hourly rate for our designers and architects. And then um, once it gets to construction, it converts to a fixed fee and any money's paid gets applied to that. Now in the beginning, you know, and Shane can talk to you a little bit more about construction price, but in the beginning, we are definitely talking budget. You know, we don't know what their house is gonna cost. Every house is different, they're custom, but we know in general what the prices are. So for our region right now, we're saying, you know, what we're seeing for new product is gonna be in the 600 a square foot range. If that's something that's in your budget, then let's move forward with this and we can do it. If they're like, you know, well, we were hoping for 250 a square foot and say, well, you know, we're not the contractor for you. And yeah, so you so tell you a little more like how where prices are coming in.
1: Yeah, before I get to Shane on that, so it's a little bit more high level where the easiest way to handle or vet the client, if you will, is as you mentioned, you, you, you understand the current projects you have under your umbrella and envelope. And so you, you have a good idea of the range, right? So, and if they're half right. of that or a third of that, you know that it's not the ideal client. You can't make the numbers work, you know, but as far as going back to the design. So what my understanding is that you have an hourly rate set. That's right. going to probably work through floor plan, maybe elevation, but before you get into CDs or like complete and construction drawings, you, you essentially present a fee to them and then you, you deduct the hours you've already had. And then you build the rest as you start working through engineering and consultants and permitting.
0: Sort of. We bill on an hourly rate and then we bill on an hourly rate until we have enough drawings to generate a construction price. Okay. Once we have enough drawings to generate a construction price, Shane uh, presents that and negotiates that. Once they agree, sign on the dotted line on the construction price, say a million dollars they sign for, then our design fee converts to a fixed percentage and any money paid uh, prior gets applied to that fixed percentage.
1: So do you ever have clients that because with the design build, ideally, right, the, the whole goal is they're going to hire you for the architecture, design, and the build. Do you ever, when the pricing comes back, do you ever get pushback where they say, hey, Shane, um, you know, now that this is your window, you know, of pricing, we want to get another bid or the pricing is the one we like, we want to go a different direction. I mean, how do you handle that conversation with the client?
2: I mean, it's, yes, we, we definitely have had that uh, before. And, you know, being design build, having a full-time estimator, you know we can easily value engineering. Um, we're doing a, a big project now. The first price came in a little too high, so we, you know, do some redesigning. You know, we shaved it off, and now it looks like they're going. They're going to sign.
1: Okay. So, and and there's an advantage there. So, with you having an in-house design, it is a lot easier to ve, and 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 look at this as a whole, where one arm speaking to the other, because. <clears throat> It's in house, right? So when VE for you, I'd imagine it's a little bit more of a simple process and it's more streamlined as opposed to if you're working with outside consultants.
2: Exactly. I mean, the nice thing is our architect can walk down the hallway to our estimator and say, you know, they want to add a ten by ten gym or something. You know, how much? What range do you think that's going to be? And when we, you know, they, then the architect can go right back to the client and tell. Yeah, that's
1: that's. Good advice, right there, you know, especially having it right there. So, when you're looking at design, though, I mean, is, is there is it the same on every project that the stopping point's the same as far as that hourly? Rob, when you're looking at design, do you get to floor plan elevations or is it further? Is it the same stopping point?
0: I mean, you know, a lot is dependent on the client. You know, design is, I always tell, is heavily driven by the client's involvement, timeline, et cetera. So, Some are, you know, hot strut, they want like a price as quickly as possible. And, um, you know, so we, you know, kind of do the bare minimum drawings to get a price and then, you know, present that way and move forward. So it could be a little quicker. Some want to take a lot more time and make sure everything's in capture. They don't want any change orders, anything like that. So that'll be a longer. So it really, you know, depends on, on the client on when we do that conversion. But essentially it all happens whenever they sign the construction price. Once that happens, then it's, They're they're on, you know, contracted for the full design fee and the construction price.
2: And I think a a good thing to point out is when we say $600 a square foot, that's just for the bill. So that doesn't include the 8%. um, We also have an 8% tax here and then any reimbursables such as government or consulting fees. When I say consulting, I mean like engineers.
1: Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. Okay. So yeah. consulting or if you have special inspections, are you putting that in the bill price or is that separate?
2: yes, like yes.
1: So that would be separate as well. So then and I mean permits, I mean you're similar to us. I in Arizona, you know, we, we're not design build myself in the way that you guys are at all. You know, I'm working with outside architects and designers, but uh, you know, very similar, you know, we're looking at a square foot price, and really that's C of O, right? So that would be the house, the driveway. You know, everything you need to get C of O, whereas pool and landscape, um, it's typically additional because I mean there's so many variables, right? Someone may have yeah. two acres of farmland where they're fully landscaping and they'll spend you know, eight hundred thousand dollars on landscape and pool, whereas there may be a desert lot where they have two acres, but they can only build on ten thousand square feet of it and they'll spend, you know, 150 grand. So there's just so many variables. Are you are you designing the pool and landscape as well, or is that a side we, we addition do. to the square foot?
2: we do um if they do want a pool that goes goes through our contract and obviously that would bring up the the square footage price as far as landscaping that we pass that off
1: so you never but do you, are you managing that in the field like your supers and you as a team or
2: i mean yeah i wouldn't say we're managing it but in the beginning process when the when the landscaper comes in we're we're definitely working with them
1: yeah it makes but it's sense
0: it's an exclusion on our contract
1: right so So you are excluding landscape. I mean, you will want to have some sort of landscape design because you do need to understand, you know, if you're in a a tight hillside lot and you don't have access, you know, do you have to run gas lines, you know, for maybe the fire pit or barbecue? Do you have to, you know, run drip line or at least sleeves under the driveway possibly to irrigate two sides? So there is some coordination there. So are you working with landscape architecture or is the landscaper himself doing those drawings?
2: Mostly the landscaper himself. Sometimes they do bring in a landscape architect. Uh, a lot of our, our high-end subdivisions, you know, when we go through the design review process, they require a landscape plan up front before we're allowed to break ground. And so our architect will work with either their landscape architect or um, uh, the landscaper to develop that.
1: So is there a strategy why you exclude landscape just out of curiosity, but you'll do the pool?
2: Well, the pool, you know, kind of can run with uh, con- con- in conjunction with the house when we're building it, yes, it kind of comes towards the end. You know, after, you know, two and a half years, you know, it's, it's, it, we're just ready to pass it off. And, you know, the landscaping with maintenance, you know, that, that could go on and on and on for.
1: Yeah, there is definitely a lot more to the maintenance side. And, and do you guys also assist with maintenance of the house after you're done with construction? Or how do you manage, you know, the warranty side?
2: We do um, we do a one year warranty where we'll go through uh, you know do a walk through um, you know fix plaster cracks of course anything like mechanical that happens within that one year um, you know we'll go and fix you know as you know you know relationships are everything Brad so you know if you know a client calls and your reputation you know calls us three years later and there's something wrong we'll go we'll go fix it but yeah. as far as like you know monthly maintenance or anything um, we don't do
0: that. Yeah, and like some of the, you know, as you know, builder groups have those maintenance contracts and we've considered that, but just I mean, we're so stretched as it is on our, you know, resources and everything else that we're not interested in starting another another division.
1: <laughs> there there there's some truth that I mean, right now everyone's pretty stretched. And so, you know, yeah. for you guys, I know your structure and we talked about this a little bit in the beginning, is that primarily you're lump sum and so are you still doing lump sum despite this economy? I mean, for those that are listening that may not understand the difference, what is the difference lump sum, cost plus, and then how yeah, has that I mean, dictated you guys?
0: Yeah, we do only lump sum. I mean, there has been a couple remodel projects that are smaller on scale and will do cost plus, but uh, 99% it's lump sum. Uh, and so basically, you know, the difference is we do a lump sum where we give you a price negotiated up front for everything except allowances, you know, things we obviously don't know yet, like cabinetry, you know, surfaces, uh, stuff like that, we'll keep as allowances. But for the main structure, this is our price. Uh, it's a million dollars, and we can negotiate up that front. And then once we have that price, that's fixed throughout. We think that's the most beneficial for us and the client because you're not worrying about cost overruns that aren't have anything to do with the client. Or, or things like that and you know dealing with that throughout the whole project we like to negotiate the price up front and then we're done cost plus on the other hand where every item would be whatever the cost is of that item plus the contractor's fee as you know so it's you know whatever the framing was plus 15 uh that's not how we work we never have uh we find it really successful you know we like to have the project like i said from its infancy from the Moment, you know, we're just starting to put uh, pencil to paper all the way through construction, and you know, have those fees negotiated upfront and cost.
1: So, how do how do you protect yourself? Just out of curiosity, because you know, we've done both. I've done a lot of lump sum in my career. I've done a lot of cost plus. Um, you know, I think this last year is the first time, at least I've seen. I mean, I saw high prices in two thousand seven, you know, two thousand eight. Nothing like today from a material side. So, how do you protect yourselves? Is there an escalation clause? or are you on the hook if lumber doubles or triples
2: we
0: yeah i was going to say we because i just did this contract uh pre-pandemic yes we were on the hook for that because you know in 40 years of business never never seen contingency and uh you know if we go over we eat it if we go under great we get a few extra bucks but you know it's been you know normal operating ever since the pandemic that's thrown you know twists and everything and we've thought about completely like throwing out the lump sum and going <laughs> to cost plus because prices are so crazy uh so we've i've totally revamped the contract with our attorney and you know we're lump sum but we're covered by all those kind of unforeseen events you know we can be lump sum but you know when there's huge uh fluctuations in cost and now we put lumber as a an allowance it's just too wild you know so we treat lumber as a cost plus item i mean it's just too wild to try and you know use it as a um fixed cost number so
1: so that's interesting kind of a
0: hybrid of cost plus and you know lump sum when you really think about it
1: yeah did you have a point to that shane
2: no i was just going to say we took i mean this past year some pretty big hits when we had lumber in the lump sum like and we we tried um, to send out letters to and change orders to the clients And a couple of them did pay the overage, and a couple of them said no, your lump sum, and so it wasn't worth the argument.
1: Yeah, yeah, it it becomes tough, but that is interesting, and it is a smart way to approach it because the question I was going to have for you, Rob, is uh, not so much the transparency, but how do you communicate that, set that expectation with the client. But if you are saying, okay, we're going to build your house, to the example you gave, for a million dollars, well, now if you're highlighting the allowance lines, you know, like appliances, you know, and and putting lumber down there, well now you're giving them a cost saying, okay, as of today, you know, at least in Phoenix, I can only lock lumber pricing for seven days, right? So you're saying as of today, lumber price is gonna be let's say hundred thousand dollars. Here's your allowance line. So if it goes down, you know, by the time we order in six months from now and it's at eighty thousand, then that's their allowance. They're gonna get a twenty thousand dollar Delta credit, right? And if it goes right. up, they have to pay the difference. And so are there any other lines that you guys are seeing because we're getting price increases from everybody. However, you know, with finishes, it's a little easier to substitute something. You know, steel, concrete, lumber. It's a little bit more difficult, and so that's why in working through this, now that you're a little bit more seasoned, working through the pandemic, you're moving these down to allowance lines, even though you're still a lump sum.
2: Right, and I, you know, we, a lot of our subs are, are really loyal to us. We give them a lot of work, and we usually we don't get, but when we contract them for the price, um, usually they'll stick to it and you know, I'm sure they have a contingency in there. Um, the one who doesn't, obviously, because it has the biggest fluctuation in their framework.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. And so what you, you mentioned that sometimes you don't have all the selections done, even though you're, you're managing that design build process. Is, do you have a commitment to the client where you're, you know, you're like, we're not going to break ground until we have all selections? We're not going to start framing? Is there a milestone that you're making sure all the selections are completed or how are you tracking that through the build?
2: So basically like on builder trend, we have a construction schedule and also a design schedule of when items need to be finalized. Um, so we, you know, the more we get up front, the better, you know, especially now with lead times, um, we're really trying to push our designers, you know, during the permit process, during the grubbing process, you know, Try to get, you know, as much done, as selected as possible so, so we can order. Because, as you know, they tell you, you know, your pulling fixtures are six weeks out. And then on week five, they tell you they're another six weeks out.
1: Right.
0: But, you know, I was going to add to that, you know, our, we're in the business of making clients happy. And so we don't, you know, we're not too, like, rigorous on each, every client's different. Some of them, you know, make a ton of changes, delay decisions, and, you know, we roll with the punches and just, like, do the best we can to accommodate it. So, sometimes we can have, you know, most selections done by the time we break ground. Sometimes we can have very few, and, you know, and we're pushing. But, you know, our clients, you know, I'm sure yours are well, are from all over the country and globe. So, you know, sometimes they have limited time to, uh, to get out here and to, you know, really commit to the project. So, we just work with each client individually, what's best for them. And accommodate their schedule and their needs.
1: Yeah, and so, and and you mentioned that you do remodels, you do new builds. Uh, are you doing spec homes as well, or is it pri- primarily build a suit?
0: We're primarily doing new builds. Uh, we have a large remodel um, going. We're, we really have been saying no to all remodels lately because you know there's such a time suck and like you know with our and talk about that, you know. Resources right now. Yeah, it's like new construction is really where it's at. So you know or. Think of our 15 projects or so in the field, 14 are new, and one is a remodel, a large remodel. And then we did, we like to do one spec, you know, going at a time. We don't like to do any more than that. We don't like to be leveraged or, you know, Shane and I came in uh, in 08, you know, when the bottom fell out of the market. So, you know, we still have that kind of fear and conservative approach, or we're like, we don't care how good things are, like, one at a time is all we'll do, and we've been really successful with it, and we're about to break ground on our one right now in a month or so.
1: So how is the market there right now?
2: It's, Don't fire yeah, it's 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 crazy. I mean, we used to tell you know if forty five years ago, six years ago, if a house was five hundred four fifty a square foot on the market, that was expensive. And now okay, you're yeah, seeing yeah. houses above 1,000 square foot.
1: So, so, you're, so you guys are dealing with a little bit similar you know, uh, environment and climate as we are here in Phoenix.
2: And I don't know if it's similar for like you, Brad, but like we used to have a primary clientele, and they were from Texas. You know, it was, they, this was their second Texas home. playground out here. Yeah, this is their, their playground. And then all of a sudden, this last year and a half, um, and there was mostly it was secondary homes. And now in this last year and a half, we have clients from Florida, North Carolina, Chicago, San Francisco, and it's all their permanent homes.
0: It's like an urban exodus from the pandemic.
1: Yeah, we're seeing that too. You know, predominantly, of course, we had a lot from California, some from the Midwest, and now we're getting from the Northeast, which typically they didn't migrate to Arizona, uh, rarely from the Northwest. We're seeing a lot of Seattle and Portland, of course, move here. You know, and as you mentioned, you know, Rob, you said this. So you have a lot of people live in the metro cities. Um, Companies such as Microsoft and Amazon, that are letting people work from home. Now they can relocate to, you know, maybe get out of the city or, or somewhere cheaper in their mind. Although it's driving up the cost and for sure in New Mexico, where you guys are in Arizona, you know, it's making it a little more expensive for everybody. Yeah.
0: I mean, 600 square foot to someone coming from San Francisco or Manhattan, that's like a steal.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: and I, I, that's why I think when you look at places like Aspen, Park City, Sun Valley, Santa Fe still is a steal. You know, yeah. compared to them, so they're they're you know they're comparing these different, um, you know, yeah. yeah, resort towns and Santa Fe still still even though for us we think it's high.
1: Yeah, and it is when you if that's your comparison, especially if you want, you know, more of a mountain, you know, higher elevation, you know, there's definitely it's a lot cheaper in Santa Fe, respectively, compared to especially Park City or Sun Valley right now. Yeah. yeah. So then you know, going back to the just the overall um, process that you guys have. I mean, how does that affect your relationship? Do you guys, um, have any internal battles, you know, as brothers and trying to run your different departments?
0: Well, I'm stronger and bigger than him, so I can just pick him <laughs> up if there's ever a, uh, <laughs> <you> no, <know, laughs> <now, laughs> um, so yeah, no, I think one thing, you know, Shane and I grew up together, obviously, uh, we worked in the restaurants together in California. He was my boss in the restaurant. He fired me at one point, you know, I don't hold a grudge, but whatever, but we've always worked together. So I think, you know, we have a successful working relationship and I think our key is, um, you know, we each have our domain, uh, our world, and we don't mess with the other one's world. You know, I'm not going to go to Shane and tell him how, you know, what super to put here or subcontractor to put here or, you know, or certain things in the field. And Shane's not going to come to me and you know tell me you know about like you know the contracts yeah. how it should be changed or financial reporting or anything like that. And so I think we have a really healthy respect for each other and respect for what each other do, and we show that. And um, and we you know I mean you know there's always stuff that comes up, but I mean I don't know in the last ten twelve years since we took it over, there's been, been virtually no major conflict. No
1: Which is, which is impressive. I mean, it's always tough. You know, you hear doing business with family or friends, you know, it can create tension in the relationship. And so is is that scope of work clearly defined? And in addition to that, how did you both define your roles in the sense that Shane is, you know, going to be in construction out in the field and Rob, you're behind the scenes. I mean, how did you define that early on?
0: I mean, we did before coming onto the company, we defined that. So Shane, you know, has a history in, uh, management and part owner in restaurants in California. Um, and when we were talking about coming on, I went and got my master's in accounting. So before even we came on, we were prepped and ready to go in our respective roles. And then, you know, I, I'd say a lot happens organically, you know, um, and I was going to say the other, you know, big key to it is, you know, you really got to like check your ego at the door. I think that's where a lot of conflicts, you know, happen where you, you know, you want to done your way and you, you know, you're going to pound your chest and shane and i aren't like that at all we'll take suggestions from anyone in our company uh we you know anybody wants to improve it anybody does i don't care what your rank power anything else is Our, we only see what's best for the company and if that's always first and foremost in our mind that you know will lead us to success
1: so it's that common goal right i mean yeah there's you, you both have maybe your opinion on things your perspective, your experience, history, but if the goal is the success of the company and the brand, then you're going to oversee and overlook maybe your imperfections or your partner's imperfections, and and always shoot for that goal.
2: Exactly, and I would I would hate to do what Rob does. I would have zero desire, and I think Rob would hate to do what I'm doing. But if, if, well, I think know, they would hate me. <laughs>
1: Well, I love that you shared that. It's interesting, Shane. I've spoken to you know a lot of design firms where you have someone who's the senior lead designer running the design portion. And then you have someone on the back end that's doing all accounting, receiving you know, materials, you know, furniture, whatever. And they're always successful. They, they couldn't do the other one's job. They don't want to. And so th- there's success there where there's not overlap because both of you don't want to do each other's job. And so that definitely creates a clear dist- distinction, I'd imagine. Right.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah I have yeah, expertise in my field. He has expertise in his field. I mean, if they're talking about the minutiae construction and stuff like that, they're not coming to me.
1: So then, I, I mean, your side, Shane, I mean, I understand that you had restaurant experience and managing people and a lot of what we do, especially if you're in the field. And this is key. I, I talk to our young superintendents about this, about this all the time because they always ask, well, you know, how do you communicate with subs? How are you firm but still forgiving, right? How do you manage this aspect, especially that client, you know, being a little softer with the client? you know, there's a lot of skill that comes with time managing people, but at the same time, you still have the technical side, right? You, you know, this is a risk business, you know, we, we are a risk for service contractor. And so you have to manage the quality, you know, making sure you're passing inspections, you know, the building science of this. So how did you get that expertise from the construction side to now go be effective running the field?
2: I think it's it's just been a process and I think it's, it's respecting my supers, my project manager, who now runs, runs the job, that I respect that I know that they know more than me. you know, and, and I'm not going to tell them to do something that they're telling me, No, it really should be done this way. So and, and for the last twelve, however long it's been since we had it 12 years, it's a continual learning process.
1: And, and it's interesting you say that, Shane, because you know I, I, I will say the one thing that does frustrate me, with younger, I I shouldn't say younger, anyone that's new to construction, right? Is we have a tendency as humans, we don't want people to think that we don't know what we're doing or we don't know what we're talking about, right? Because it makes us vulnerable and and it makes us reluctant. And I find myself doing this too, where I don't ask the question because I don't want people to know that I don't even know the answer, right? That's why I'm asking the question. And so your, your willingness to put that aside, especially in construction where none of us know everything, there's so much to learn. You know, being willing to ask the question and having that respect, I mean, there is credibility that is built and then you learn from that.
2: Right.
0: Right. Exactly. Like we believe in empowering our employees and, you know, making sure they have a stake in, in what they're doing. So we want them, you know, to make these decisions. You know, Shane and I are not micromanagers. We're not going to be out there over somebody's shoulder. We believe in results. You know, we believe in supporting you in whatever you may need. And then we expect results. If there's not results, then, you know, obviously, you're not the right fit. But, you know, we really want these guys to, you know, to run their own little empires
1: out there. Now you, Oh, go ahead, Shane. I was going to say, I think one thing
2: to mention is, you know, we have very, very little turnover. Most of our employees have been with us, you know, 10, 15 years, you know, in in that range. Um, You know, so like Rob said, we try to create a culture of not micromanaging, of, of empowering. Um, you know, we have a, like a no abuse of policy, you know, I don't want my supers yelling at subs and I don't want my subs yelling at my supers. And Brad, we do two golf
0: tournaments, company golf tournaments a year where we take the guys out to the ni- nicest club in the state and, uh, treat them to a, uh, day of golf and fun. So, I mean, who wouldn't want to work for woods with those kind of things?
1: Right. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to set my application, right? I mean, speaking <laughs> golf now, so do all of them like to golf?
0: Um, most or they of at least do. maybe we like to drink
1: of, and have fun out there.
0: Most of them like to drink, have fun. We brought along. We brought up some of them. If any of them are really good, we start getting concerned because it's like, how do you have time <laughs> to be good at golf? Right. I mean, you're on. You're obviously not on the site enough. Like golf is not a game you can be good at unless you're spending five hours a day. <laughs>
1: Now, we're super excited. Welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them, and they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick, Their are company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So, for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So, if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. Now I was just having a conversation with uh, a contractor in Utah, Tyler Farrell, uh, with Kilowan, and, and it was interesting. We are just talking about you know, employee benefits and pay and bonus structure, and the conversation we we're having is we we're trying to figure out how you know, both he and I, you know, construction is a very tough industry when you're figuring out how to incentivize your people. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of ways to do that. It's not so much. Yeah. Some employees do want the dollar, right? Some employees want the culture. Some want the, um, less stress. Some want that family. Some want the golf, as you mentioned. I mean, there's different things to do and you have to understand what reaches each of them. And, and what's tough is understanding, you know, goal goals for them, right? How do you empower them? How do you give them goals? How do you give them that leash? And, and still make sure they're not making mistakes. And so, from your side, Rob, you know, uh, to the field, are you job costing? Are you tracking costs month? Like, if projects are extending, then are you giving Shane a call? I mean, how are you balancing the accounting side to the field?
0: So we do what's called a committed cost report that I prepare, and essentially that is our detailed schedule of values. You know, everything from Home Depot field labor equipment to major trades, uh, and then we have a budget column, uh, how much we budgeted with the client a how much we have cost to date column, and then how much um, is committed, meaning, you know, contracted or PO. And then I added an additional column of what we expect to spend total for this line item for the whole project. So we have a detailed cost report that we can see the bottom line, okay, we expect to spend 1.5 million total on this job. Now we go through this report and line item by line item once a month per job with the project superintendent, the project manager, Shane, myself, and Ben, the estimator. And so we can see, you know, we, we're tracking you. We're like, okay, uh, Thomas, your field labor is $4,000. You only have $1,000 left. You know, we're lump sum. Like you, what's going on here? You got to be really, you know, cost conscious here going forward. We don't want to avoid a cost overrun.
1: I love that you do that because I think this is one aspect that most contractors don't spend any time or enough time, right? As you start thinking about the, the purpose of a budget is to live within the confines of that budget, spend accordingly. And if, you, if you're blind, if you don't know what you're spending and what your cost overruns are, you come to that end project and you're like, well, I don't have any money. Why weren't we profitable? Right? And so right. what you're doing, you know, Rob, to understand is whether you call it indicated outcome or a committed cost report, when you, especially on lump sum, it's really key because when you sign a contract, you have a guess of your profitability. You, you, you're going to guess how long it's going to take, the management hours are billed, the temp labor, you know, materials, Home Depot, whatever. And, so, and even you know what you have budgeted for concrete, which actually pay for concrete. So, so what you're doing is tracking this. So then that way, the super is very clear every month, okay, I'm overrunning this line. I'm under this line. You know, I'm over this line. And so they can really track that as they go forward.
0: Right, and it's huge for historical data for Shane and our estimator because we can go look for patterns. You know, I'll send them patterns all the time. said, you know, in the last four jobs, we've gone over budget on field labor and finished carpentry. Now, labor costs are through the roof and there's a shortage. We have to up our budget on those. So when they are preparing the budgets, they're like, all right, well, let's add 15% to account for these overages. So it really informs, and, you know, from an accounting standpoint, it's key on how you recognize your income for your WIP report. You gotta put in your WIP report what you expect to make on that job. And that's, you know, that's how we recognize our income. So it, you know, I tell these guys, when we're going over these line items, it's not just like pull it out of wherever, like this is, we really gotta think about it and, you know, about the number we're doing. Cause this number translates to the WIP report, translates to our income on the, um, you know, our our overbillings on the um, balance sheet, our, recognize income on the income statement. So it's a, it's a very important exercise.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because the thing is, Rob, the, the, the work in progress, you know, the WIP is very different for construction. It's a very complicated mm-hmm. um, number. to, and, and most companies really struggle generating a, an accurate WIP. And, and the issue, if you don't, you could pay too many taxes, you could pay too little taxes, there could be penalties, right? And yeah. to your point, I love that you do this. And this is something, you know, I speak about no matter the size of your company, you need to have someone good that understands accounting, right? Principles. You need to have someone that, if, if you're big enough, have a good CFO or controller. I know now internally with us, and you brought this up, Rob, is that as we're bidding projects, I mean, this is fluid, it's changing. And that data, that history is key because even I sat down really so with, with my controller McCall and she's like, look, Brad, year to date, this is what you spent on marketing. Year to date, this is what you spent on this or um, you know, sales, you know, to get business development, you know, um, food, entertainment, whatever it is. And here's what you spent last year. Here's what you spent last quarter. And so you're tracking these things that are totally outside, even, right. but then even, even more so to your point, you know, we're tracking how much temp labor did we need? You know, how much, right. what, what were our dumpsters? You know, we budgeted, you know, eight grand for dumpsters and it's 14. Well, why is that Delta Porta johns And so all this stuff is fluid. And if you're tracking it, it gives you a better starting point for your estimating team.
0: Yeah. And the key is forecasting. You know, the whole point of this is to forecast, you know, you can have a ton of budgets and you track them and this is over, this is over, but you got to look for patterns and you got to forecast and that's what, you know, helps you, in the, helps you in the long run.
1: So, so Rob, did you know that you were going to come into, you know, into the business? I mean, is that why you did go get a master's of accounting? Was it specialized in construction or real estate or, you know, how did that conversation happen?
0: Uh, you know, I think when Shane and I were talking about taking over the company, uh, we just talked about our roles, and it seemed pretty natural. You know, I have a, a business administration degree from the University of San Diego, um, and Shane's, you know, had a history of managing, and it seemed like it made the most sense for me to kind of take off, take over the finance side, and Shane to take over the uh, operation side. So I just, you know, naturally said, all right, well, like I'm gonna go get, you know. Degree in accounting because I mean I know business but I don't know accounting that well and I was my role was coming on to replace the CFO and we had a whole plan where she was going to be here for six weeks or so and train me. Well, day two she figured out I she's training her replacement and she <laughs> leave, and she
1: leaves. Also, she didn't know that you were so replacing I got
0: her. left to the wolves. I had a CPA come in and help me. You know, I went to a bunch of seminars. Straight, like I learned whip from a seminar in Phoenix that was specifically on whip. I never knew what a whip was, and <laughs> so I was, you know, and you know, and like I said, we're coming in at the bottom, the depths of the recession. So, you know, I think that's the best way to learn. You know, is just cut your teeth on it.
1: Okay, so hold on. This is uh, just to understand, especially for our listeners. I mean, what was the dynamic of Woods Design Builders before both of you came in? I mean, what was the ownership structure? And then what enticed that conversation for you two to come in and say, okay, we're going to come in and take this over.
2: Um, well, my mom was the primary. She was the, the owner. Um, and they had, she had set up uh, an ESOP with, uh, with the, with the employees as a, uh, an employee. employee
0: stock ownership program.
2: Yep. Right. Um, and then she came to find out that uh, they were taking advantage. The, uh, the previous person that who Rob trained uh, trained with for ten days, we're pretty sure he was he was stealing. Same with the project manager. And so, my mom called up Rob and I, um, and this was 07, I think, somewhere in there, and and basically said, "This is your last chance. And um, you know, do you do you want to have an opportunity to take over the company?" And Rob and I both talked and thought. Absolutely, let's not give it up. if you would have ask Rob and I when we were 18, 20, 22, if we were ever going to come move back to Santa Fe and work construction, we would have told you're freaking crazy. We're <laughs> going <work, laughs> to be
0: professional surfers. <laughs> yeah. you know, something awesome. Um, but, uh, and I think what Shane is saying is that it was a really complicated time to come in because the ESOP was already in place. right? And we had to... Buy, the company had to buy out the ESOP. Uh, so we had to get a you know professional um, value, construction valuation firm to come in and value the company. And then the company with its resources had to pay out that ESOP where each of the employees got whatever their share was um, in dollar-wise. And then that brought ownership, full ownership back to my mom. And then we negotiated a deal with my mom where we bought her out and paid her over a period of time. And, you know, and, uh, I think it's really just been like, we really completed the last payments to her a few years ago.
1: So that's interesting. So at the time there was your, your mom was, was principal. She's owner, you know, it's an right. ESOP. There's a little storm brewing essentially, you know, with a couple of employees and your mom's like, okay, well, this is your chance to come in. And then of course it's complicated for you both because now you got to figure out the buyout for the partners and then eventually her, now this is really the tough part. I, th- you know, the more people I speak with, they really have a challenge when they're taking over the business from their parents. Right? You start thinking exit strategy. Most of us, which we'll get into exit strategy later. Do we have one? Do you guys have exit strategy planned? Now, are you building to that? But where it stands now, how was that dynamic? Was it a clean break when your mom comes in and you're like, "Oh, this is perfect. We're going to take over." You know, I'm sure she still had her opinion on how things should run. So, how did you? clearly define this. And the reason I ask is because the conversations I have with other contractors are like, Brad, I'm taking over from my mom and dad, but they don't believe in marketing, right? They don't believe in social media. They don't believe in maybe building science or doing systems or build a trend because they kind of old school, this is their methodology. And so there's a lot of friction, that relationship. And then as you mentioned, trying to figure out a valuation, a buyout. Do I take them out now? Do I keep them on board? Do, Do I move to sales role? How did that dynamic work between you guys and your mom? Right.
0: And like, to no. your point, my mom thinks builder 20 is the craziest idea she's ever heard. Like, I'm <laughs> meeting with 20 random people and like telling them how you do business. Like, why don't you just give away the whole recipe? You know I mean? She just <laughs> thinks, I mean, just, it's insane. So it just goes to show you how, yeah, how different, you know, Construction you was again,
1: way different. Our younger ger- yeah. generation looks at this much different, right? It's much more transparent.
2: I think yeah. the, the biggest challenge was the it, Woods Design Builders was Sharon Woods. It was her brand. She had, uh, at that time when we were coming on, it, it, would ju- it was just turning like 40 years. So she'd been doing it for 40 and her releasing that and how Rob and I changed that brand from Sharon Woods to Woods Design Builders. And I think one of the biggest challenges and rightfully so was, my mom letting it go you know you know passing us on you know you know letting me do the sales without her and you know just slowly let it go and that was the biggest challenge i mean we went to family therapy we brought in different coaches like we did we threw everything against the wall yeah i mean
0: it was a long process we wrote up tons of documents uh defining each other's roles setting benchmarks on when we would take over certain roles and responsibilities. Most of them got crumpled up and thrown in the trash because <laughs> they just, you know. You just, out of the room. Out. Yeah, there's gotta be some level of organically coming because you're just not quite sure because it's a two way street. You know, the, the people, Shane and I had to be ready to take it over to where it could be successful. And my mom has to be ready to relinquish in order to allow us to be successful. You know, the thing I tell all our hammer, you know, our builder 20 club and then the same thing is like, you really got to have some honest conversations with your parents on when they are really going to let it go. Because the only time you can be successful is when they take their hands off the wheel and just let you run with it. And whether you drive it into the ground, you're going to make every mistake in the book. I know we have, but that's the only way you learn from them and get successful. As long as they're you know, that you need them for a, a while, definitely. But at some point, you got to cut the cord or it's only going to hurt you.
1: So was there a strategy before getting to the counseling side and all that, Shane, right? You know, when you start thinking about Sharon Woods Enterprises to now Robin Shane taking over, you know, Woods Design Builders, you know, how did you combat that when there's a reputation that your mom had and now it's the sons, you know, the boys taking over? But did you do it through marketing, through social media, through relations? I mean, yeah. how did you...
2: Not really social media because this was twelve years ago. Um, it was more, as like Rob said, having to relinquish. You know, if she was in the first sales meeting, or if she was in with me presenting the estimate, well then everybody turns to her. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just, I'm just the kid. You know, so it was, it was a slowly baby steps of where Robin said, Rob and I would say, okay, we are the primary contact with this client. You're not, you're not involved. With this project and it and,
0: kind of and, 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 and through marketing too you know we have a big event to exactly. parade to homes here where we you know we interface with thousands of people who come to see our homes and that started to be where we would do it with her and then without her and then so just slow it takes it's a long process slowly over time you know, we still get people calling for Sharon wood and she, <laughs> she doesn't work here anymore <laughs> um you know, it, it takes a long time. But, you know, over time, as you get new clients and she's not involved in the process at all, you know, now all of our clients, like, you know, don't really, you know, they don't know Sharon Woods at all.
2: No, we're um, more known as Woods Brothers Construction.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it definitely takes a lot of time. But, um, you know, but like I said, the, you know, it's one thing for the owner, the parent, what have you, to say they want to be done at X amount of time and step away. And it's another thing for them to actually do it. Because this is, this is their baby. And so, like, so still, still she'll come to us and be like, well, do you need my help with it? Like, no, mom, <laughs> we don't need your help. We've, like, <laughs> been doing this now for 10 years and, like, we're fine. So But it's hard. I mean, I get it. It's hard to, like, let go. I mean.
1: It is. And so, you know, going back to that, I guess, you know, from 2008, you come on board. Of course, Rob, you step into whirlwind. I mean, what was the communication? If you were planning to take over for the CFO and they didn't know and then found out, um, you know how how long did it take you to get kind of your wills under you and get that all figured out?
0: yeah, I mean at that time, I was just strictly an employee of my mom, you know, I had no ownership or anything. I was coming into this new role, and you know it was super tough, and my mom is an amazing designer, she's amazing at what she does. she doesn't know anything about accounting or books or anything so i she was you know her and Shane would work more hand in hand at that side. she was more familiar with that, but accounting and finance she didn't know anything, so it was just just trial by fire. I mean, like I said, I hired a CPA who came in with me, combed through all the books, you know, kind of showing me, you know, from the ground up on what to do. I went to seminars, I went to classes and, you know, just learned a lot on the fly.
1: And then from your side, Shane, I mean, and and Rob as well, when 2008, you moved there, how long until that separation and transition went from when Sharon left?
2: Oh God, that was a while. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, at least...
0: I think she was 15. here till 2015 or 16.
2: 15 or 16. So, 08 yeah,
0: 2012 or was it 2010, we officially took ownership of the company. And right, and then the buyout. On, yeah, and then started the buyout, which we paid her, uh, you know, a percent of the proceeds for the next five years and had a buyout number. Um, and then um, then I think it was about five years where she was still on. And I would just say, I don't know if we're going to cover this topic later or not, but also telling people in the 20 group, one of the trickiest parts is coming up with that buyout number. Because as you know, construction is a really hard industry to put a number to a company. I mean, how, we don't have many assets. You know, we we sub everything out. We got a building. You know, you have your goodwill. You have your reputation. And the person selling it to you is taking it's that out. reputation. So how do you value, you know, and you have your contracts and things like that. So I always say, you know, we engage professional, uh, construction industry experienced um, companies to value our company so we can, you know, have a fair number and, and know what we're doing. Cause that's a really tricky thing.
1: No, I'm glad you brought that up, Rob, because this is the hardest part when you're a fee business, right? You're only as profitable as you, the fee structure you can charge. And then you're only as good as the p- people doing the sales, right. And performing. Right. And so it's very complicated. It's not like you're a production company or a manufacturing company where you have products going down the line, you know, there's assets, there's equipment, you know, where you can value this stuff. It's all not pie in the sky, but it's just, it's arbitrary. Right. And so as you bring someone in, so did you bring someone in to evaluate the ESOP and then someone else to evaluate the buyout or was it the same valuation the first time for both of those?
0: Um, it was, it was the same person who we used for both the esop was a lot more formal you know i mean you have to report it all to the you know irs and everything and like you know very detailed and then you know they came in later to help us out with finding a value and you know and you're also finding what's fair i mean you know we had negotiated first like this is kind of the value we can you know pay it this way but thought also you know She's going to be on for a while she's built this company so we agreed you know like two percent of the revenues over like three and a half million dollars you know over your kind of break even point um she would get you know two percent of that uh for the next five years and so as the company grew over the next five years because obviously we're climbing out of the recession she was still getting you know some nice nice checks there so yeah you want to you know you got to use both you want to get a professional's input and then you got to you know it's a family so you're not trying to screw each other right.
1: you know? yeah but you want to be successful too and i imagine there's I, I i'm not sure if there's conflict there i imagine that'd be challenging i've, I've sat in buyouts or acquisitions of other companies and i've seen and, and they've been construction companies so i've seen where you know everyone's signing their nda right and you're going through the coming through the financials and you know the owner who has put his or her you know time and equity and money into this company it's their baby as you mentioned like with your mom and then they're handing that over. I mean, they feel there's a certain value. They want to be compensated for in value. And then for you, the buyer, I mean, there has to be value that makes sense. That you can afford it as well as perform and be successful. Well, yeah, and that's so, the
0: thing. That's what inherent in the, oh, you know, the seller is a higher price is in their best interest. Yeah. <laughs> inherent right. in buying it, your best interest is a lower price. And for good reason, you're taking on a lot of risk. You know, I mean, this is like, you know, like you said, we're in a risk business. So- it can be great or it can blow up in your face and you know, there's, you got to account for that too. And get the price.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. So how does that relationship stand today? I mean, I I guess before that question, Shane, going back to it, I mean, you mentioned there's some counseling involved and a lot of work. I mean, was that successful? (laughs) 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 No, but it's okay. I mean, it's not like this is anything unforeseen. I mean, trust me, all the conversations I have with contractors, this is very common where they are doing counseling and they're trying to figure out, and it's not a bad thing. I mean, all of us should take counseling, right? I think it's good for all of us, but I, I think it's healthy because all of us have different ways of running a business and to be a successful business business or partnership, you know, you have to have that open communication. And a lot of times when there's a mediator, a third party, you know, they could say, Hey, Shane, maybe this is good. You know, Hey, Sharon, this is good. And so it's a good thing. You know, this is not uh, a bad look by any means.
2: Right. Um, no, it was, it was, a. It was challenging. I think one of the other challenges was was keeping business business and then family, you know. So you know, you you were working together, and then you go to the, you know her house for dinner. You don't want to be everybody talking about work, right? Or, and so we and that was one thing we really tried to you know draw the line at, which we did we did okay at. Yeah. Okay, um, again, I think it really just came down to kind of just. Having my mom just start to step away, and she just for a long time she just was not ready to do that, and that that caused you know conflict. Um, yeah,
0: I think the most conflict was towards the years when she was starting to step away, and we were really ready. You know, in the beginning we were ready to take it on. I mean, no one's gonna was gonna listen to Shane and I were super green about you know buying spending four million dollars on house. We needed her. But as we got our feet underneath us and then she started moving out, that's when was probably the most friction because we would either stay or have expectations, well, we're going to handle this or our architect's going to do this, and then she'll come and take it over. And it's just like, you know, you're totally, you know, undermined. undermined, Yeah. And and I think that was a lot of conflict. And like you said, it's great. Therapy was great. Uh, We had a business coach, again, from Scottsdale, actually, or Phoenix, who came out. Uh, stayed at my mom's guest house and you know went through everything with us it's really important to have that third party um, objectivity because you know she you know she's our mom we're our kids her kids like she would say things like well you would never say that to a regular boss and we're like well (laughs) you would never treat a regular employee like that (laughs) and so it's all these weird things that you got to kind of navigate through in the end like we always said Number one priority is family. Number one priority is that it doesn't affect our relationships. And kind of like how we say in the business, put the business first when it dealt with our dynamic relationships put family first. And no matter what would happen, you know, we'd all meet for dinner on Sunday night at her house or whatever, and, you know, show up for each other and support it. Never bled into where it hurt our personal relationships.
1: Well, I love that you're both open about sharing this because there's so much value from just learning about how to approach this from a buyout especially when family's involved, and it's no different. Any company, even if there's not a bout or there's not a parent or there's not a, an operation, I mean, it, it's as simple as you could have someone that's in the field and as your company's growing now, they're moved into maybe a director of operations or in the office. And I've seen that right with companies where now now the superintendent and now the project manager's like, well, I don't think they know how to manage this job properly. Did you call your concrete sub? You know, the PM's going to text the super, did you call your concrete sub? But then the PM... Jumps over him and calls a concrete sub anyways, and then calls the superintendent saying, "Hey, I called them. Here's what's happening," and they undermine that leadership. And so, I, I, that's tough. That's just human dynamics. I mean, all of us struggle with that to some extent. And so, it's it's just good practice, right, to understand you know that third party objectivity. You know, understanding how to find a neutral playing field. Find find out the priority. as you guys mentioned. Hey, the priorities would design build. You know, the priorities our relationship as a family, and then then you have to monitor and work through that stuff, which is a lot of work, but.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think you have to remember to have some grace and understanding. Like, you know, we would get worked up about some, you know, my our mom undermining us, but then at the same time, be like, I mean, it's tough for her. She's she built this company. You know, her her and my dad split in the '90s. She took it over as a single woman in a very, you know, heavily male-dominated industry, yep. and right. fought her way tooth and nail, and like, and give him that's hard for her. And then we would say the same thing. That's like, you got to like, remember, this is like all new and scary and risky for us. So like, you know, give us a chance, you know, we're going to fail. We're going to, you know, have problems, but like, just kind of extend that, that grace. I think that's a key part of it.
1: It's a very mature answer, Rob. I will say just that perspective, understanding where she's coming from, you know, by you having that maturity, you and Shane to understand that there is a lot of value and power there because a lot of us don't understand what other people are going through or dealing with. And, and that transition, right? As you mentioned, just the the determination she had to have to be successful in this industry and take it over and then relinquishing that, not an easy thing. So have you guys thought about that now? I mean, you're super young. You have young families. I mean, you have a long career ahead of you. Have you thought about just exit strategy to be more prepared in the future? Or is that going to be sometime down the road?
2: For, for me, it'd be sometime down the road. I haven't thought about an exit um, strategy. I'm out of here next year. Uh, <laughs> <I'm not> here. <laughs> uh,
0: no, it's a uh, I mean, we have a buy sell agreement in place, so we, you know right. we, we have these these things. I think what our goal is is, you know, we want to be working for a while. we But we want to we started out in like the minutia of the business, you know, me doing data entry for every accounting entry that there is, and Shane being on the job site the entire time watching every step. and so we've slowly, and we've kind of accelerated this lately, is try to step back more and you know have the company kind of run itself more. And we can look at other options, other ventures. We've both picked up some rental properties, you know, doing some other stuff. I think that's our goal, is to not be involved in the day-to-day as much. So we elevated one of the supers to a project manager to take over a lot that Shane does. I have our office manager and an outside accounting firm doing a lot of what I used to do really just leaving to us focusing on the big picture and, you know, and giving us more flexibility. I mean, you know, we like to travel, we like to be with our families, we like to do other ventures, and that that's kind of our goal. As far as exit, you know, I don't know. I mean, we'd love to uh, see one of our boys or, you know, together take over or come and work for the business. You know, we'll see. I heard, I think, third generation businesses, I think, have like a 13% success rate, so, wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it's tough. It's amazing to be thinking down third generation, but I. But what you shared is really important, Rob, because you know when you look at com- successful companies, they'll put their salespeople all the way at the bottom to work through and understand. You know, like in a production facility, what is every job task, right? So they understand how the product's made, and you know that aspect. And so the minutia part, which you both learned, and now where you become effective CEOs, now that you put systems in place and people in place and empower them, you can look at the health of the business, and that's really where you become successful as a company. And so. You know, going back to the Builder20 when your mom's like, hey, what are you guys thinking? I mean, how did that conversation come up? How did you guys even find out about the Builder20?
0: Well, I mean, you know, one of our things was like I said, you know, we were always constantly looking for continuing ed seminars, stuff like that. We went to different seminars all over the country and then, you know, obviously went to um, IBS and stumbled on this, you know, it was this like fancy room, this 2020 club. I didn't know what it was. They explained it to me and i was like this is genius like you know there's so many questions i would love to ask our competitor but it would be really weird if i picked up the phone and asked him if it's a cost plus or you know how to right. structure his fee and so to have these guys who you know are experienced the best in the business ask able to answer any of our questions and they were really intrigued with us because they were all, as you see now with the kids coming on, when we came on, they were just talking about the idea of their kids coming on into the business. And so they really wanted to hear from us who were further along about, you know, success and, uh, pitfalls. And so it was, you know, a win-win situation.
1: Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I mean, it is, I, I, I'm grateful too, to be part with you guys and members of that group. Um, it's been amazingly beneficial, you know, just expedite that growth. And yeah, I will say that's the value of social media, right? You get connected with other people, you know, build a mm-hmm. 20 groups where you, you, you know, that education, because really at the end of the day, you're, Rob and Shane, you're trying to be the best builders as you can in your market. And, and you have to understand what people are doing in other markets to be successful in yours, and apply that to, to really deliver the best product for your client.
2: Uh, yeah. I, I would sure. say it's probably one of the best decisions we've made as yeah. far as
1: growth. Yeah. You and know, it's been work, amazing. The morning,
2: the morning. Go ahead, Jay well, I was going to say, just from le- learning from the best of the best, you know, there's so much stuff that we've incorporated in our company now um, that we would have never even thought of.
1: And so, you mentioned this a little bit. So, what do you guys enjoy doing for fun? I know you love golf. You, you know, you have families. You love the vacation. I mean, what are some of the other things that that you do outside of uh, the normal day to day?
2: As you said, golf, mountain bike family time, uh,
1: pro surfing,
2: surfing, uh, just got back from Punta Mita, in Mexico, um, which was amazing. So, yeah. That's yeah.
0: I mean, of- we're huge skiers love to ski every weekend. You know, I love to trail run and mountain bike and do all that stuff. Um, and, you know, and right now with our, where our kids are at, we are like, what do we, you know, we're kind of like chauffeurs to <laughs> the next activity in sport. I mean, I have, I think there's four soccer games an hour away this weekend. So I don't have a weekend. That's my weekend. That's
2: your weekend. I don't know. I don't know if Brad's going to have any sympathy for us. <laughs> how many, do you,
1: you know what? Everyone has their complicated life. I know with many kids <laughs> as you both have like, and me as well. It's, it's, uh, it, it's definitely no rest for the weary, right? Between business and family. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So, but so what's, No, go, go ahead. Shane. No, go ahead. No, I think the
2: one thing that Rob and I have done, and when we set the culture, of the company, because a lot of our our employees have have young kids that are in the similar age, that it, we really that family comes first.
1: And I love that. And I love when companies don't just say that; that they actually mean to do something. You know, and right. you know when you see companies where their kids may have a cross country race, or they have a a sporting event, or a recital, or whatever, and they. They allow them to go do that, right? I mean, there's value there where it's not just, hey, you have to take your PTO and, you know, there's that flexibility and, you know, that's value for the, for the employee too.
2: Exactly. Well, and I was, yeah,
0: and I was actually thinking, going back to what you said earlier about like how you're trying to motivate each employee. You know, I know from, gosh, the sociology uh, class I took forever ago that money is one of the least effective motivators. You know, people say it, but you don't get up in the morning and say, I'm getting, I'm excited to go to work because I'm going to make twenty-eight dollars an hour instead of twenty-five. You get up because you're excited because you know you like the people you work with, you like the job that you do. You're respected by your peers and your bo- and your bosses. So I think, and you know, our culture is like Sam said. Like, yeah, family's first. If you've got a kid thing to do, go do it. We're more interested in results. We are not interested in to make sure you're here from eight to five. That's not an effective productivity, in my mind, effective productivity is somebody who's happy and makes most of their time and gets results.
1: Yeah. I love that mindset and it just shows the company you built, right? And, and to work through that transition with your mom was Sharon, to work through building that company culture. I mean, that's why you're successful today. So what's upcoming and exciting for woods design builders? What's up? Uh, uh, too many projects. <laughs> um,
2: no, we're, we're probably doing, we're doing probably our most exciting project we've ever done. It's uh, really outside of our our wheelhouse. Um, It was a a client who had a 6,000 square foot house that we tore down, and we're building a one bedroom 6,000 square foot house. Has a 3,000 square foot basement, which is a spa. Um, The whole middle floor, and it's all ICF and uh, Epic Deck. Um, The middle floor is all the living area. Then uh, the the third floor is um, their master suite. It's right on uh, right on a river, probably one of the most beautiful places in Santa Fe, uh, a place called Suki And then we're doing the same property, a three-bedroom bunkhouse, which has a drive-in 3,000-square-foot basement, um, which is totally, we've never done this, then a pool, uh, an office. It's, it's crazy. So we're really excited when it's finished.
1: Yeah, those are exciting projects. They're, they're fun ones to showcase and work on. and. Um, you know, for those of us that want to follow along and check you guys out, where can we find you?
0: You can find us on, you know, our website. We put, um, you know, all our recently completed projects and then we have drone photos of all of our ones in progress. So like the one Shane's talking about, you can see these, you know, crazy elevation shots of these structures going up. Uh, you know, you can find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, um, woodsbuilders.com.
1: Okay. We'll get that all tagged in the show notes here. And Ken, thank you enough, Robin Shane, for making time today.
2: I uh, really appreciate it, Brad. All right. Thanks, Brad.
1: So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.